0: Well, church, uh, if you have a Bible uh, with you this morning, uh, I want to invite you to open them to the unmarked pages in your scriptures. Uh, You know, the part of the Bible that you've never really read and that you've never really wanted to read, probably. Because this is where we're going to be for the next 12 weeks as we begin uh, a new sermon series uh, looking at the minor prophets. And if you think that I'm joking about uh, this being the the unread part of your Bible, uh, I'm not at all. According to BibleGateway.com, the minor prophets make up six of the ten least read books in all of the scriptures. And so both individually... And as a collective whole, these books are sorely neglected and underutilized by the church, which is both unfortunate for us and to our great detriment. It's unfortunate because, as the 20th century American scholar Homer Haley concluded, that among the writings of these prophets are some of the most beautiful and majestic and artistic expressions of all of literature. And it's to our detriment because these prophets speak an important message, not just to their own time, but to ours as well. And so we need to pay attention to them and to hear what they have to say. Now, the minor prophets uh, were first named as such by the, the great Saint uh, Augustine, not because he thought that they were in any way inferior uh, to the other prophetic literature in the Scriptures, but instead because they were merely the shortest of all of the prophetic writings. But the fact that these uh, books are relatively short does not mean that their messages are unimportant, because nothing That God says is unimportant. As proof of that, all that we need to do is to consider how often the minor prophets are quoted by Jesus and his apostles uh, throughout the New Testament to see how important they are to the faith of God's people. In the New Testament, these 12 minor prophets are quoted on 46 different occasions which shows us that their messages weren't just for their own time, but the truths which they proclaimed endured well beyond their own times. And if Jesus and Paul and the other apostles took the minor prophets' words so seriously that they used them in their own teaching, then we should as well. And so over the next 12 weeks, we're going to be focusing on the major messages Of the minor prophets. And considering the implications and the applications that they hold for us today. And that brings us to the first of the minor prophets, uh, Hosea, who is one of the the earliest and the longest tenured prophets in uh, the scriptures. And I invite you, if you have the Bibles, to open them with me uh, to the book of Hosea. In the opening of his letter, Hosea places himself. Uh, Within uh, Israel's history, indicating that the word of the Lord had come to him in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the king of Israel. Now, there were were six other rulers um, in Israel uh, during this time period in which Hosea places himself. And whether he doesn't mention them because they all had a a relatively short uh, tenure and reign or because they made no significant difference to the direction of the nation uh, is, is unknown. But what we do know from the book of Hosea and from the other scriptures which describe this time period is that Hosea ministered in a time of great physical prosperity but profound moral poverty. See, from all outward appearances, that things were going great during the time of Hosea. The king of Israel who had preceded Jeroboam, the, the, the primary king who reigned when Hosea prophesied, that the former king was a great military leader. And in 2 Kings chapter 14, we read that he had restored the border of Israel from Libo Hamath as far as the Sea of Araba. Which basically means that during the time of Hosea, Israel was occupying virtually all of the land that God had promised to their forefathers. And they appeared by all accounts to be thriving and experiencing the promised blessing of God. But while things may have looked uh, good on the outside, underneath the surface, in the hearts and the minds of the people of Israel, all was not well, for their leader at Jeroboam, we are told, did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not depart from all of the sins of his father. And the same was true for each of the other six kings of Israel that reigned during Hosea's life as well. You can read about all of them in Second Kings, chapter 14 and 15. They all did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And as the old proverb goes, a fish rots from the head down. And that was certainly true of Israel in this time. The leaders had led the nation astray and the people had willingly followed. And so although Israel appeared to be thriving and experiencing the blessing of God, beneath the surface it was a society that was stained by injustice and corruption and immorality idolatry we see glimpses of these problems throughout the book of hosea for example in chapter 4 verses 1 through 2 we we read god's accusation against israel that there is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of god in the land that there is swearing lying murder stealing committing adultery they, they break all bounds, and that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Later in the same chapter, we read that, that uh, they had deserted themselves to prostitution and to drunkenness, which took away the understanding of God's people. God says that, that His people had resorted to inquiring of a piece of wood, and that they, their walking staffs were giving them or, oracles. He said that with empty oaths, they were making covenants. Israel had become a people with no moral or spiritual compass or rootedness. And while there are many other descriptions uh, throughout the book of Hosea of how Israel was descending deeper and deeper and deeper into moral decay, all of it was ultimately summed up in the statement from chapter 8 verse 14 which highlighted that Israel had forgotten its maker. They had exchanged God for Baal, and had abandoned God's ways in order to follow their own passions and their own pleasures. And it is into this context that God called Hosea to live a life of warning and of hope. And I say that God called Hosea to live a life of warning and hope rather than that God called him to speak a word of warning and hope. Because the ministry of Hosea was basically one giant, incredibly painful, and yet unbelievably hopeful object lesson for the people of Israel. What we read in Hosea chapter 1 verse 2 is that when the Lord first spoke to Hosea, He said to him, Go and take for yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And so this was the ministry of Hosea. In order to communicate to the people of Israel how vile and repulsive and harmful and hurtful and insulting their behavior was towards him. God had Hosea marry a whore. Now, many of you know that uh, Lindsay and I have been gone on vacation for the last couple of weeks. And just before we left for vacation, we were having dinner with uh, Eric and Abigail Fezmeyer. And, and Lindsay said to the Fezmeyers that, that I was going to be writing my sermon while we were away on vacation. And, and Lindsay said, I'm sure that, that uh, the vacation will provide all kinds of examples for Ford to use in his sermon. <laughs> and when I process and contemplated what she said, I thought to myself, my God, what is my wife planning to do while we are away on vacation? Uh, you know, uh, this whole thing is about an uh, 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 unfaithful wife who has children uh, that are born out of wedlock. And, and so uh, fortunately, uh, my wife didn't know what the topic of the sermon was going to be. Uh, but ever since then, I've been praying that this would be the least illustrated sermon that I've ever preached in my life. Uh, so we're going to go with what the example that God has already given us in his word, which is plenty graphic enough. And we're going to let the Bible speak for itself this morning. And so God had Hosea marry an adulterous woman named Gomer. And through this incredibly odd and shocking pairing, the Lord speaks a powerful word of warning And of hope to his people, Israel. So first, he speaks a word of warning. And the warning comes to us through the names of Gomer's three children. And what we see is that with each successive child, the warnings become increasingly serious. We read in verse 4 that the first child that Gomer bore was to be given the name of Jezreel. Because in a short time, God was going to punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. Now to make sense of this prophecy, uh, we need to understand that years earlier a military commander named Jehu was God's instrument in winning a significant battle for Israel in the valley of Jezreel. But Jehu went far beyond his mandate from God, and in a series of ruthless strikes, he slaughtered countless people including two of the kings of Judah. And in response to Jehu's brutality, God vowed to bring retribution to Israel four generations later. And so Hosea was told that in naming his firstborn son Jezreel, that he was a warning to the people that the judgment of God was coming in a little while. And much of the rest of the book of Hosea is filled with with statements of the prophet detailing for the people all of the reasons why the judgment of God was coming upon them. The lists of the nation's sins are long and they are varied. And Hosea leaves no doubt that the people of God would deserve what was coming to them for having broken their covenant with God. So the first child was a warning that judgment was coming. Sometime later, a second child was born to Gomer, this one not necessarily by Hosea. And as we see in verse 6, God gave instructions that this child was to be named No Mercy. And the reason that this child was to be called No Mercy was because God would no longer have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. For while it is true that God is a God who is slow to anger, abounding in love, And forgiving sin and rebellion. According to Numbers chapter 14. He is also a God who does not leave the guilty unpunished. Israel had had their chances to repent and to return. They had received many warnings. And had been shown great mercy up to this point. God had been patient. Had been slow to anger. But He would not leave the guilty unpunished. And so as Israel stubbornly persisted, unrepentant in their sin, God was warning them that they had exhausted His mercy and that His pardon would be replaced with His punishment. This was the second warning to the people. A few years later, when her second child was weaned, Gomer gave birth to a third child. This one, according to verse 9, was to be named, "...not my people." Because the Lord said that Israel was no longer His people and that He was no longer their God. And this was the gravest warning of all. The Lord was letting His people know that in their persistent sin and rebellion and in their denial of Him as their Lord and God, that the Lord was going to turn them over to the desires of their hearts and let them go as His people. If they didn't claim Him he would no longer claim them. And God makes clear that there would be a remnant, but that His people would, come, would become the southern nation of Judah and would no longer include the northern nation of Israel. This was the, the third and final warning that God was giving to His people. And so what we see in this first chapter of Hosea is that with the birth of each successive child, God's warnings to Israel became increasingly serious. First, he said that judgment would come in a little while. But second, he warned that he was going to have no mercy or forgiveness upon his people any longer. And finally, he declared that they would no longer even be his people. For God to remove his protection was alarming. For him to remove his pardon was even worse. But for him to remove his presence from among the people was worst of all. And yet that was the course upon which Israel was walking and from which they would not turn back. And in the years that followed, this is exactly what happened. In 722 B.C., the Lord sent the Assyrians against His people in judgment upon them. They were shown no mercy and were taken into an exile from which Israel never returned. They had ceased to be His people. This was the warning that God was giving to his people through the prophet Hosea and his adulterous wife Gomer. And though this message was originally given some 3,000 years ago, this should be a profound warning to all of us today for a number of reasons. First, as Westerners in general, and as Americans in particular, but we live in the most prosperous land, in the most prosperous time in the history of the world. And if ever the warning that material prosperity can cover the moral poverty of a people has applied to anyone, it applies to us. Abraham Lincoln, in the middle of the Civil War, said this in a speech to the nation. He said that we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand that preserved us in peace and multiplied, enriched, and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined that all of these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated by our own unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God who made us. That speech was given in 1863. How much more applicable is it today? Look at us. I mean, we have absolutely everything. Most of the rest of the world looks at the West, and America in particular, and thinks that it has been kissed by God. And yet, despite the outward appearance of thriving and blessing, there is an inward depravity and a lack of morality in our land. That is difficult to fathom. If you read the list of accusations against Israel throughout the book of Hosea, they are all true of America, and the rest of the Western world today. There's a well known saying that those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. We need to learn and to relearn and to relearn and never stop learning. These lessons of God's dealing with His people from the Scriptures. For in many ways, our nation is very much like the situation that Israel was in. And in the same way that they displeased God and brought judgment upon themselves by forgetting God and His ways, we are guilty of doing the same and we need to repent. The second reason this message should challenge us today is because it was spoken to the people of God. This wasn't a prophecy of warning for some of the surrounding pagan nations uh, to turn from their evil ways. We would expect that type of a message of judgment for them. But this was a prophecy against God's own people. And though there are certainly differences between the church today and the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, the church is not immune from the discipline of God when we disregard Him and His ways. God can and will remove His protection and His pardon and even His presence from His people today, as He did back then, if we deny Him and persistently remain unrepentant in our sin. In the Gospels, we are warned that at the end of time, Jesus will come to some in the church and declare that He never knew them. In our reading from Matthew, we heard that some who were invited to the great wedding banquet will end up missing that great feast altogether. In the book of Revelations, we read of churches that are warned that God would remove their lampstand from its place if they did not repent. We must hear this warning from the prophet and heed its instruction. We must turn from our own backsliding and our own idolatry and return to the Lord in repentance and the amendment of our ways. We must learn the lessons of Hosea. For it was not just God's warning to them. It is also God's warning to us. Hearing this message, we must ask ourselves if there are ways in which we are living that leave us subject to God's discipline and to his judgment. When you read through the book of Hosea and the the list of accusations against Israel in this account, are they true of your life as well? If so, it's possible that their fate could end up being your fate. This is a warning that we must heed good news of the gospel is that in the midst of every warning that God gives to his people, there is always a message of hope. And that is what we see in the rest of Hosea's life. For in chapter 3, which some have described as the greatest chapter in the Bible because it portrays the greatest story of the Bible, we pick up the story of Hosea once again. And apparently some time had passed, and and despite the warnings that they had been given, neither Gomer nor Israel had changed their ways. Gomer had abandoned Hosea, their marriage was over, and her decisions had led her into a life of slavery. She was reaping what she had sown, And yet in the midst of her depravity, while she was at the very lowest of lows, God called Hosea to go... "...to Gomer again, and to love her again, even though she had been unfaithful, even though she had abandoned and deserted him, even though her life was a wreck, and by all outward appearances, wasn't even worth redeeming. The price of buying a slave in the the Old Testament was 30 shekels. Gomer eventually buys her for 15. Nobody wanted her. She was worthless." But the Lord instructed Hosea to not stop loving Gomer and to go after her again, to purchase her back from her slavery and to once again make her his own. And so Hosea went after his unfaithful bride. He left his home. He went into the squalid surroundings of the marketplace. He chose Gomer for himself, he purchased her out of her slavery forgave her for her betrayals, and took her home to love her once again. And in this object lesson from Hosea's life, we are reminded of God's great love for us. Because isn't this what Christ, God has done for us in Christ? though we have been unfaithful to Him time and time again. In His infinite love and in amazing grace... God has not left us to ourselves. Instead, He sent His Son to come and to save us. And so Jesus left the glories of heaven, came to live in all of earth's squalor, chose us for Himself in spite of the fact that our lives were steeped in sin and bound in slavery. He claimed us as His own, purchased us with His blood, cleansed us by His blood, And through His kindness and His mercy has wooed us to a life of repentance. Where we want nothing but to stay close to Him and to be His. Church, this is the hope of the gospel. And this is the major message of this minor prophet. That we are a terribly unfaithful people. Deserving of nothing but judgment from God. But the Lord is a loving and faithful God. And despite our nearly constant unfaithfulness towards Him, He remains steadfastly faithful to us. In His love for us, He has purchased us out of our slavery. And He invites us to come home to Him. In chapter 14 of the book of Hosea, the prophet's message ends with a plea Return to the Lord. The people of Israel never received that invitation to come home to God. They heard it, but they didn't accept it. They did not hear or heed this lesson of the prophet. May we not make the same mistake. I want to close this morning with a, a few observations that I think are important to draw out. Of this story of Hosea that that have a profound impact on the way in which we live our lives. The first observation uh, to remember from this story is that sometimes the warnings from God come long before the actions of God. God's warning of judgment to Israel came years and years before he brought his actual judgment upon Israel. And that distance between prophecy and fulfillment has the ability to lull us to sleep, thinking that God will never act. But let us not mistake God's patience for His absence. We should celebrate that our God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We should rejoice in the fact that God is patient, not wanting any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But let us not forget that he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Someone must always pay for your sin. Will it be you or will you allow it to be Christ? Don't be lulled to sleep by God's patience second observation I want you to notice is that sometimes God calls us to follow him in really difficult circumstances. Like Hosea, sometimes God calls us to be faithful in situations that are faithless. Sometimes God calls us to be loving in situations and circumstances that are loveless. Sometimes he calls us to obey him. In ways that will certainly bring mocking and scorn from others. Can you imagine what Hosea's friends said to him? That can be an incredibly difficult thing to do. To be faithful to God in the midst of a world that mocks. But do it anyway. Because by your faithfulness, your life may end up portraying for another the greatest hope and the greatest love that the world has ever known. The third and final observation I want you to take away from this message and from the book of Hosea is that there is clearly no depth from which God will not redeem His people. And this is very good news. This story reminds us that no matter how unfaithful You may have been to God. No matter how far you may have run from Him. No matter how much of a mess you have gotten yourself into. You are never beyond the reaches of God's love for you. There is no bride worse than Gomer. It's not possible to be a worse wife than Gomer was. And Hosea loved her still. Even if there is no sinner worse in the world than you have been, God still loves you. He still wants you to be His bride. Return to Him that you might know this love. This is the great hope of Hosea. May we all experience it for God's glory and for our good. Amen.